Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit OutreachChurch.net for downloads and service information. He's not hidden to be frustrating. He's not hidden because he wants us to live this life without him. He's not, he's not hiding. Think about it. He created the universe. He could have hid himself in a place where we very well couldn't find him. There are galaxies out there that he's created by the breath of his voice that we know nothing about. And yet he chose to hide himself in places that we could find him. It's not for frustration that he's hidden. It's because there really is joy in seeking him out. There really is joy in finding him. There's a promise. If you seek, you'll find. If you knock, it'll be open. If you ask, it will be given. You ever play hide and seek with your children? There's a million places in the house you could hide where they can't find you. You hide in that one place. Your feet are sticking out from behind the curtain. There's a lump that looks like dad behind it. And you're moving a little bit as they walk by. Why? Because you want to be found by them. You're not hiding yourself so that they can't find you. You're hiding yourself because it's a great joy for your kids to throw back that curtain and look up into your face with joy and say, I found you. I found you. And I I just feel like that's the heart of the Father towards us over and over again. Is that as we pull back that curtain and we see more of Him, that we get that just childlike delight in our faces as we look up at our Father and we say, I found you. I found you. That's why He's hidden. I think He enjoys being found just as much as we enjoy finding Him. I think He enjoys being discovered just as much as we enjoy discovering Him. We get so excited. You know what that's like, right? You, I mean, reading the Word or spending time communing, you hear Him speak something to you, or you're reading in the Word and you, you discover something, and you just want to call somebody and tell them what you found, right? Like, you just are like, oh my, this is amazing, you know? And, and nowadays we put it on Facebook or Twitter because we just want as many people as possible to see this amazing thing. And I think that as excited as we are about that, He's in heaven just as excited or maybe even more excited because we've found Him, because we've discovered something because he placed it there to be discovered not to remain hidden he has no intentions of the things that he's hidden remaining hidden and undiscovered he put them there for us to find he's that dad behind the curtain with a huge god-shaped lump behind it feet sticking out hands moving making noise going i'm over here i'm over here i'm over here why because he wants to be found He just wants to be found. He wants relationship with you. He wants to be discovered. He loves seeing the look in your eyes when you discover something of Him that you didn't know existed before. When you see a new side of who He is. When you feel a new part of of His personality towards you. His love towards you. I think He's just as excited or maybe even more so excited in those moments than we are. Because it is the greatest pleasure in the world for a dad to be wanted and found by his children. Yeah, it is. And then he invites us into that. Like, of all the planets, right? Like, what we can see is finite. And it says that he measures the universe in the span of his hands. What we can see is is so limited, and he's so huge and vast. And of all the planets, of all the places, of all the times and all the eons, and he's before time. So it's ever since he was like you can't even we can't get our brains around that. He always has been, and yet he chose this moment in this time, in this place, in this universe, in this galaxy, on this planet, on this continent, in this place, in this state to speak and. And, to, and be known and have relationship with us that out of all of time and out of all of eternity he chose this moment and he wants to be known and he wants to know you see that's amazing that we would say yes to that kind of a God is not that amazing to me yeah, he's God but that he would want us the fact that he sees everything and still wants us. He said, Jesus said, I'm not ashamed to call you my brother. I no longer call you slaves, but friends. 
that he would say that about us and that he would want that towards us, that's amazing. That takes faith to believe because that's too good to be humanly true. Because I know me. I know who I was apart from him. I know who I'm capable of being even with him if I'm not living yielded and submitted to the Spirit of God. And the fact that he sees all... You know, that's either the most comforting or the most terrifying thing in the world. And the only difference is the way that you view him. The fact that God sees every single thing that you do in your life. The fact that his eyes are everywhere at once and that nothing escapes his sight is either the most terrifying or the most comforting thing in the world. And the difference is how you view him and how you think that he views you. When you view him as a loving father whose eyes are upon you, not because he's looking for fault, but because he sees something beautiful, then it's the most comforting thing in the world to know that everywhere I go, there's nowhere I can go that he doesn't see because he cares and he loves and he's with me. And his eyes are upon me like a father watching their children. And he may not love every single thing that I do, but he loves me in everything that I've done. When your thinking changes... And he goes from being the angry guy in the sky with lightning bolts that are going to zap you the next time you take a step that you shouldn't have taken. And you see him as the father who only has things set up. Listen, the only reason why God has any suggestions and guidelines and rules and laws and all those things in our lives is because he wants the best for us. It's not to keep us from anything but hurt, heartache, shame, guilt, betrayal. All those things. Those are the reason he has those laws there is because he's trying to keep us from those things. Not because he wants to keep us from something good. It wasn't because the fruit was so amazing he said not to eat of it. It was because the result of eating the fruit would bring something that he didn't want them to experience. So he says, don't eat the fruit. Why? Because I've already given you everything that you need. I planted this whole garden. I placed you in charge of everything. And I promise you, I bet the fruit was disgusting. Because God's never kept us from something that was good. He's only kept us from things that were not good. I promise you, I bet the minute they ate into that fruit, they realized. I bet the second it hit their stomach, it started to turn. And they realized, oh, he wasn't keeping us from something good. He told us not to eat it because it wasn't good. I bet. It's the way it is, right? Like everything that he's told us not to is not because he's trying to keep us some from, thing, from something. It's because he actually has something better. If we just listen to what he says and follow his plan, we'll see and we'll experience the best that he has for us without the shame and guilt and regret and all the stuff that comes along with taking the bait of the enemy. And Jesus comes and sets us free from all that stuff. But here's the point. Don't set yourself... Don't get, the, the mouse that gets himself into a trap and gets his nose slammed so that he has to get rescued by a human being that comes along and opens the trap is a foolish mouse. Mm-hmm. Like, don't get yourself in a position where you have to be rescued intentionally. There's enough rescue you're going to need in your life just doing stupid things. <laughs> right? Like... Trust me, you'll find a way into something you need to be rescued from at some point in your life. I promise you. Don't go looking for it. There's going to be enough junk in the world that you're going to have to renew your mind against just by living in this world. Don't purposely choose and place things into your mind that one day you're going to have to renew your mind against. The world will do plenty of that for you. Don't give it any help. I promise you, that's what Jesus said when he was washing Peter, remember? He washed Peter's feet, and Peter said, not just my feet, Lord, but all of me. He said, you're already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you, but it's your feet. Why? Because your feet is the part that comes into contact with the world. That needs to be washed by the water. That's what needs to be renewed. It's the part of you that comes into contact with the word that constantly needs to be washed and renewed by Jesus. This is what he told Peter. He said, Peter, don't think that you're dirty just because you've been out in the world and there's dirt in the world. You're clean. I've made you clean because of the words I spoke, because you've believed in me, because you've become clean. I've made you clean. And nothing in the world can change that. But there's part of you that comes into contact with this world, and that needs to be washed with water. Like, don't go look for mud puddles. 
Don't go finding and making mud puddles in the backyard and jumping in them just so that Jesus can come and cleanse you, just so that you can have your mind washed by the water of the Word. Actually try to walk in the cleanest way possible and know that anything that comes incidentally as I try to follow Him, as I'm walking after Him, anything that incidentally should touch me, He's faithful, He's just, and He's loving, and He'll cleanse that from me. And He's not counting that against me, and He's not going to let that damage me. But I'm not going to go build a mud puddle in the backyard and jump around it just because Jesus promised that he cleaned my feet I'm not going to intentionally put something into my mind just because there's a promise that I can have my mind renewed by the, by the uh, word of God there's going to be enough stuff that un- unintentionally comes in for, for me to actually intentionally go I, I know, we've talked about this before but listen to me this is strong on me this morning don't choose to put things into your mind that one day you're going to have to renew your mind against What a waste of time. Whatsoever things are good, lovely, innocent, of pure report, of, of, of good report, excellent, worthy of praise, meditate on these things, brethren. Why? Because the things that we choose to meditate on are the things that will control the direction of our lives. That's not legalism, that's the gospel. That's not being a Pharisee, that's being a wise steward. That's saying, I have a limited amount of time on this earth to know him and become like him. I'm going to wisely steward the mind that he's given me so that what I put into it are things that are making and helping me become more like him rather than things that I'm going to have to actually repent of or have him come and remove from my mind that I'm going to be praying one day that I would forget. I probably shouldn't put it in to remember it to begin with. I mean, me and Gladie and Dylan are excited about it and Patty. be real careful I'm telling you listen this is not legalism like so many people out there buying into a cheap version of grace that looks nothing like the grace that Jesus preached Jesus yes he offered grace to the woman at the well he offered grace to the woman caught in adultery but there was also a thing he told her it said go and why because he actually cares about what we do with our lives It's not, I'm going to come and give my life so that you can do anything that you want apart from being led by my Spirit. It's, I'm going to come and give my life so that my Spirit can get into you so that my wants become your wants and my desires become your desires. Because God said if we delight in Him, He'll give us the desires of our heart. In other words, as I find my delight in Him, my heart starts to align with His heart and the things that I want look like the things that He wants for me. Then I'm not a conflicted person that's torn in two different directions. Wanting one thing, doing another. Wanting to not do one thing and finding myself doing it. That's Paul, apart from the Spirit in Romans 7. That's anybody who's not submitting their life to the Spirit of God. Because the things that we give ourselves to in our thought life are the things we'll give ourselves to in our real life. You've never done something that you didn't think about doing first. I promise you. You've never sinned without first thinking about it and conceiving of it in your mind. You've never said a curse word that wasn't already in there. You might have hit your thumb with a hammer and a curse came out of your mouth, but it was already in there to begin with, to come out. You didn't invent a word. You don't smash your thumb and go, you say what's in you. So if it's coming out, that means it was already put in. At one point, at some point, the things you're putting in are the things that are going to come out one way or the other, either by the Spirit of God taking them out of your life or by you speaking or acting them out. And what's in your heart will be shown in the way that you live, in the way that you speak, in the things that you do. That's why Jesus said you'll know them by their fruit. He didn't say go around looking for fruit to see if people are Christians or not. He just said it'll be really obvious. Don't be a fruit inspector, but on the other hand, if there is no fruit, you have to wonder what kind of a tree it is. Jesus cursed a fig tree because it didn't have figs on it. Why? Because a fig tree was meant to produce fruit. And a tree with no fruit is useless. That's the gospel. It's in your Bible. I promise you. You were made to bear fruit. You weren't called to be a fruit inspector. 
But Jesus said what? You'll know them by their fruit, by their love one for another. But he said there's a bunch of things you'll know them by. Not saying you have to go around and start inspecting people's lives and saying, so how much fruit do you have in your life? Let me see. Show me them branches. That's not what he's asking for. He never said to do that. But he did say that if they are following me, you'll see fruit in their life and it'll be really obvious that they're actually following me by the way that they live their lives and by the fruit that you see in their lives. That's not a test. That's just a statement. That wasn't like a job description. It was an observation. You know them by their fruit. What's the fruit look like? The people I spend my life with. I, man, I don't, I, I don't think I'm going to get to my message this morning because I, I feel like there's just... <laughs> shocker. Maybe I am getting to my message. It's just not my message that I thought. I know you guys are all surprised. We're a fairly well-oiled machine here, and we do everything by the book, you know? Um, isn't it more fun this way, though? I mean, you just never know what's going to happen. Yeah. I, I would love, man, if we ever got to a place where it was like, Years ahead of time, we had everything planned out, and now it was just walking according to that plan and just, you know, filling in the pegs, and, and I would just hate that. I couldn't, I couldn't do that. I couldn't. I think maybe that's why God isn't calling me to pastor a huge, ginormous church, because I feel like the bigger you get, the more structure you have to put in place. Maybe not. You know, maybe there's a way to do it large where you don't have to have that structure. I just don't know if I've seen it. Um, so maybe that's why. <laughs> Because, I mean, there's got to be some reason, right? Because so many people who come here are like, oh my gosh, you guys are going to outgrow this building so fast. It's so crazy. The, the worship and the teaching and all that stuff. Listen, I'm not bragging on me. God gives me this stuff. I'm just the, the, the Balaam's donkey that gets to open my mouth and speak what God told me to say, right? I, I promise I don't take any like, credit other than I'm obedient to actually spend the time with him that he asks me to and that I desire to spend with him. And the worship team, like, they didn't give themselves the talents they have. They're just faithful to use them for his glory and for his service and to lead people into worship. And it's because it's who they are. It's not something that they do. Every person that's up on that stage is a worshiper Monday through Saturday. They don't try to flip a switch when they get on stage on Sunday. You could spot that. You can tell a performer. You can go places and you can see people that are singing lyrics that sound like they're actually leading worship, but they're just performing because it's not really who they are. It's something that they do and it's a switch that they flip. And one easy way to tell that is what are they like when they're not on stage? When someone becomes something they're not on stage, when they're off stage, when they become something different when they get on stage than they are off stage, something's off. I'm not saying what it is, I'm just saying something is off if you're not going to worship unless you're on stage with people watching you. I'm telling you. It's just like if you go on a mission trip and that's the only time you'll share the gospel. If you're trying to, if, it, if it, the only time that you're going to share the gospel with people is when you go somewhere to do it, something's wrong. Trying to go somewhere to do something that you won't do in your own hometown. See, that's why Jesus told them, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Beginning where? In Judea. Where were they from? Judea. And then Samaria, that's the, that's the territory surrounding it. That's the next place. Why? Because if you can't share the gospel with the people that you know and love, and then you can't bring the gospel from there to the people that are closest to you, you probably have no business going into the world. Amen. Because you're trying to give away something there that you're not living here. I know, sometimes I feel like I step on toes. But, I'm, I'm, but, but really, honestly, think about it. Like, it's a performance if you'll get on stage and do something on stage that you won't do off. It's just as much a performance if you go to another country and do something there that you're not willing to do here. All right, that went over <laughs> huge. <laughs> hey, they tried to kill Jesus and push him off a cliff his first sermon. I can take people not responding when I say something. If Jesus is any of us, he's having a bad day and his ministry is not worth it. Think about it. Think about Paul and Silas. Paul and Silas get thrown into jail for what? For doing the very things that Jesus commanded his disciples to do. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, preach the gospel. They cast the demon out of a girl, they preach the gospel, and the next thing you know, they get beaten and they get thrown into prison. If that's any of us, we're asking questions. Why, God? Why did I end up here? 
And I'm saying, if that's any of us and we're not living actually for something greater than just our circumstances and what's going on around us. I don't want to say that critically, like there's no one in here that would say that. I believe all of you guys would respond the right way. I'm just saying there's a tendency in human beings, when things don't go the way that we think they should, to start to question, why am I here? Why did this happen? We have a bunch of friends that would probably start looking for sin in our lives, start inspecting for fruit. They ended up in prison. They obviously weren't doing the will of God. What if they were perfectly doing the will of God and they ended up in prison because we live in a fallen world and we live in a world full of people who hate Him and He promised if they hate me, they'll hate you too. If they would have loved me, then they would love you. But because they've hated me, they'll hate you too. What's he saying? If you look like me, they're probably going to hate you. Don't worry about it. It's because of me, not you. That way you never take it personally. Ever. That was Jesus' blanket statement that you have permission to never take something personal that happens to you while you're actually following Him and living the life He's called you to live. Ever again in your life. It was this one statement. If the world hates you, it's because they hated me first. What's he saying? Don't take it personally. It's because of me. It's my fault. Why would you ever take it personally? That's why Peter says, rejoice when you're persecuted for His name's sake. Why? Because what that's saying is this. You look enough like Jesus for the world that hates Him to hate you too. But maybe the opposite's true as well though. Because it can't just be true in one direction. Like, without faith, it's impossible to please God. means that with faith, it must be possible to actually please Him. Otherwise, that's an that's a, 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 a incomplete sentence, and it, it's, it's a half-truth. It has to be true the other way as well. So without faith, it's impossible to please God. means that with faith, it is possible to please God. Well, the same is true if the world hates you. It's because they hated me first. For if they would have loved me, then they would love you too. That's Jesus Christ speaking these words. That's Him telling you, don't take it personally, it's because of me. But if that's true in that direction, then maybe it has to be true in the other direction. And if nobody ever dislikes you because you look like Jesus, then maybe it's because you don't look enough like Him for those that dislike Him to dislike you. See, because Jesus didn't say, hey guys, You should be really excited when everyone says good things about you. Why? We have no problem being excited when people talk well of us. We didn't need that encouragement. He actually said, Woe to you when all men speak well of you. For this is how their fathers treated the false prophets of old. What's he saying? He's saying, listen to me, if you're actually speaking the things that I'm telling you to speak, there's going to be things that you say that confront people that they're not going to like. And if everything that you say makes every single person happy, the only way to do that is the way the false prophets did. And what did the false prophets do? They said, peace, peace, when there was no peace. They lied to people and told them what they wanted to hear so that the people would receive them well rather than telling the people the truth because they actually cared more about themselves than they did the people around them. I just don't want to offend them. No, no, no. You just don't want to be ridiculed. Let's be real honest. A lot of times what we talk about, well, I don't want to, I I just don't want to, you know, I don't want to step on their toes. No, you don't want to have yours stomped on in return. Be real. Be honest. Like, a lot of times we hold back from things that we feel like, now listen, this is not Jesus giving us license to be a jerk. Do it in love. Measure your words. What does that mean? It means that there's an amount of words that you should actually use. You don't have to go off on every single person, on every single subject, but measure them out wisely. Jesus said, these words that I speak are not my own, but they're my Father's. In other words, I'm not just saying everything that's in my mind. I'm saying what I know the Father would have me to say. There's got to be a filter that we run these things through that says, is this, Father, is this something you want me to say now to this person? But let's be real honest, there's a lot of times we give ourselves permission and I'll say something and in, in, in the excuse that we use a lot of times is, well, I just don't want to offend them. You know what? The gospel is offensive. We're not doing it to be offensive, but I promise you, if Jesus said woe to you when all men speak well of you, it's because he, had, he, he totally envisioned people who would have people that talked badly about them that followed him because of what they said and the way that they lived. Otherwise, it's a useless statement. We honestly, if the Bible is to be trusted, if Jesus Christ is to be believed, we have more to worry about when everyone speaks well of us than if nobody does. Now, listen, 
hear me out here. If nobody speaks well of you, it's probably you. I promise you, if, if everybody's like, dude, that guy is a jerk, you're probably a jerk. <laughs> Don't go give yourself license to be a jerk and then say, well, Jesus said, woe to you and all men speak well of you, so that must mean that everybody's speaking badly. Well, I must be really highly favored. <laughs> no, because there should be some people that are following Jesus that are offended by what you're saying because they're living out the same thing. If everybody in your life has a problem with you, it's probably because you have a problem. All right? Jesus isn't giving us license to just go be jerks, but what he is saying is this. Don't take it personally if you really are following after me and you're really living the life that I've called you to live when there are people out there that don't like you. It's not because they don't like you. It's because they don't like me and I'm in you. That's awesome. Like, now I don't have to take anything personal ever. So now if I'm Paul and Silas and I'm in prison, I'm not saying, so this is the thanks that we get? Preach the gospel, cast out demons, and we end up beaten and in prison? I don't have to listen when friends say, well, obviously, bro, you must be doing something wrong because if you were doing everything right, you wouldn't have got beaten you wouldn't have ended up in prison. Says who? Let's not, let's not evaluate every single person's obedience or lack of obedience by the circumstances they're in for a season. For a season. They didn't, stay be- they didn't beat them till they died and put them in jail to rot for the rest of their lives. Although that could happen to some people too. But I'm saying a lot of times we are really quick to judge whether someone's walking in obedience or walking in and following after Jesus by where they find themselves for a season. Or even with ourselves we're prone to do that. We find ourselves for a season walking through something hard, going through a tough time, and the next thing you know, we start to question everything and start asking, God, what did I do wrong? I must have been disobedient. I must have missed it somewhere. Along comes Job's friends. You've obviously done something wrong. Right? And well-meaning, well-intentioned people will see that for a season you look like the circumstances in your life aren't going so well and they'll judge by their seasonal circumstances whether or not you're actually following after Jesus. If Paul and Silas did that, they would have abandoned their faith that night as they were down in prison. Well, I can't believe that we ended up here. Cast a demon out of a girl, preach the gospel, do what Jesus called us to do and all it gets us is in prison. And if they would have had that attitude, I wonder if what happened next wouldn't have happened. Because I wonder if they would have abandoned the gospel at the first time that circumstances didn't go the way that they thought that they should or the, the way that they wished that they would. If they would have abandoned the gospel in that moment, if they wouldn't have been released from prison because they had nothing inside of them that was worth releasing. Because what you have, you give. If you've got a bunch of frustration, if you've got a bunch of things that are saying, because my circumstances don't look good now, the gospel isn't true, Jesus isn't worth it, then why on earth would God want to promote that and put that on a platform? But it's not what happens. All right, we're into the message. We are. You see that smooth transition? Open up to Acts chapter 16. We'll take up our offering at the end. That way you guys know what you're paying for. (laughs) Acts chapter 16, verse 22. It says, The crowd rose up together against them, and the chief magistrates tore the robes off of them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. Then they had struck, when they had struck them with many blows, they then threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there came a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were unfastened. 
When the jailer awoke and saw the prisoners, prison doors open, he drew his sword, was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, saying, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And he called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in his house. And they took him that very hour out of the night and washed their wounds, and immediately he was baptized, he and all his household. And he brought them into his house and set food before them and rejoiced greatly, having believed God with his whole household. When the day came, the chief magistrates sent their policemen, saying, Release those men. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for for everything you've already spoken today and for the things that you're going to speak, God, that our ears would be open to hear and our minds to receive, our, our hearts, God, that, we, we, uh, that our lives, that, that who we are, God, would be good soil for the seed of your word, that our lives would produce fruit, that a world that does not know you would taste and see your goodness because of your fruit in our lives, God. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so, so they get thrown into prison for doing nothing more than simply casting a demon out of a little girl that was demonized and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the magistrates and the priests come along and, the, and, the, and they tear their clothes off of them. They strip them down naked. They beat them. And after they've struck them with many blows, they take them to the prison. They hand them over to the jailer. And they tell the jailer, don't let them escape, basically. And the jailer says, okay. He takes them to the inner part of the prison. There's all kinds of teachings on what the inner part of the prison was like. It's where all the sewage from all the prison would go, and then it would go out through there. Right? It's the worst place in the prison, and he binds their feet in stocks. So it's not enough just to have them in the worst part of the prison, inside of gates that are inside of gates. He binds their feet in stocks as well. That way they can't move. Now you can't even move when things are going on around you. Your feet are bound in stocks. And they're there for what? For preaching the gospel. For setting a little girl free that was demonized. For doing the very things that Jesus called them to do. If our version of Christianity makes God a slot machine that says, I put X in, I pull the handle, and He spits Z out, we are going to be in for it because we will allow our circumstances to determine whether or not we have actually been faithful or not will allow our circumstances to determine whether or not He's worth it. We'll allow whether things go the way we think they should or whether prayers were answered in the time. We, we not only know what should happen, we know when it should happen. Like we have this whole timeline and like we want God to not only do what we want, but we want Him to do it when we want Him to do it. And so we've got everything laid out and now God has become our dancing monkey and we're playing the music and we're waiting for the monkey to dance. And the problem is that the monkey doesn't dance. We think we're playing the wrong song. And so we put that song away and we quit and we go back somewhere else. We become discouraged. If Paul and Silas live this way, they have no reason to have any faith, any belief, any joy, anything because they've just been taken and put in the worst place humanly possible after being beaten for doing nothing more than what Jesus called them to do. But look what happens. See, hold on real quick before we get to that. Be, re- be really aware of what makes you happy. And I'm not saying that like doomy and gloomy. Like there's a lot of good things that, that it's good to find joy in. But how many of those things can be stripped away and you still be as happy as you were before? How many of those things can be stripped away and you still find a song on your lips? How many of those things can be stripped away and you still praise Him the way that you did before those things were stripped away? Like sometimes it takes, honestly, God stripping things away from us to reveal how much we're finding our delight in those things versus in the One who gave those things. 
He is so committed to you having true joy, which can only be found in Him, that if things that you're finding joy in are keeping you from finding your joy in them, a lot of times He'll allow them to be stripped away from your life because He's not content with you finding a halfway partial joy in things without ever finding Him because you find contentment along the way. Like C.S. Lewis said, right? We say, I say this quote all the time, but it's true. He says, we are far too easily amused like children content to play with mud puddles when a great holiday at the sea awaits just over the next hill. God has no interest in you stopping and making mud puddles, making mud pies in a puddle and missing out on the ocean over the hill, even if sometimes it means he has to dry up the mud so that you have to keep on looking. Why? Because he wants to be found. He has no interest in you finding him along the way in things that he provides and not continuing to actually find the one who gives those gifts. So you seek first the kingdom and all his righteousness and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. What makes my heart more excited that I could have the kingdom which means the king and his righteousness or all these things? If my focus on that verse is the getting to the second part, then I've missed the first part. If what excites my heart is, and all these things being added to me, I've probably missed the fact that he just said that I could actually have the kingdom and his righteousness. Because I want to seek the kingdom for the king. Not for all these things. Those things are a benefit of being in relationship with the king. The fact that you can have Him and His righteousness is a lot bigger deal than that you'll have a place to sleep and food to eat. I promise you. And, the, and I mean, just heart check. Like, I do it myself a lot. Like, what am I more excited by? What interests me more? Is it all those things or is it the fact that I have Him? Here's a great heart check for Paul and Silas. This is so revealing of what they really wanted because when they found themselves in the worst place that a human can find themselves for no reason. Listen, sometimes you know why you are where you are. That's why when Peter says, you know, rejoice when you're persecuted for his name's sake, he also throws in there that warning. Make sure that none of you suffers as an evildoer for what, is, what glory is there if you find glory in those things. In other words, make sure that the reason you're being persecuted is really because you look like Jesus and not because you're actually living in sin. Because sometimes we got ourselves in places just by being stupid or by purposely doing things that we know we shouldn't. If we find ourselves there, that's a whole different story. But these guys find themselves in this place and there's no good reason for them to be there. In fact, the thing that got them there was being obedient to what the one who called them said to do. Here's a great heart check. Because everything's been literally stripped away. Everything. When they strip you naked in front of a bunch of people, you have no more dignity. You have no more covering. You have no more protection. They strip the robes off of them and then they beat them. Everything's been stripped away. But nothing has been. Because what they really wanted, they still had. I mean, just be honest. Like Mark Twain said, it's not the parts of the Bible I, underst- I don't understand that bother me. It's the parts that I do. I have enough trouble with the things I understand. I fully understand that these men had everything stripped away from them and were beaten, falsely accused, thrown into the worst place humanly possible and locked up with no promise, listen, with no promise of ever being set free in an earthly perspective. Everything stripped away. All of it undeserved. And they have everything that they wanted. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there came a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened. Everyone's chains were unfastened. Why are they praising God? Because it's what's in their heart. It doesn't matter where they are or what their circumstances are. It's what's inside of them, so it's going to come out. 
Were they praising him for where they were? No, they're praising him because he's great and deserves to be praised no matter where I am. Were they praising him so that they would get set free? No. Were they praying and saying, God set us free? No. It says they were pra- singing and praising hy- and singing hymns and praising God. If, if what happens next isn't recorded in there, I would assume, and I bet most of us would probably assume, that they were down there praying to be released from jail. Praying for God to set them free. Praying that God would punish the people who had treated them badly and that He would be their defender and their protector and that He would do all, you know, all these things. And listen, there would be nothing wrong with being in prison and pr- unjustly accused and thrown into prison and praying for God to set you free from prison. There's nothing wrong with that. What I'm saying is there's an even greater place that Paul lived at where getting set free wasn't even his priority because he was so set free it didn't matter what people did to him. See, he'd been really set free. Being put into the interior of the prison and having his feet put into wooden stocks or in chains was nothing compared to the freedom that he'd experienced in Jesus Christ prior to that. He was so set free that it didn't matter where they put him. He was still free. And so they're singing praises and there's an earthquake and everybody's chains are loosened and you would think that at this moment they would walk by the jailer as he's getting ready to throw himself onto his sword and look at him and think he's getting what's coming to him. That they would at least let him do it because he was in, you know, he had just been in charge of treating them so horrendously, putting them in the worst place, tying them up so they can't move. Okay? It's disgusting down there. There's other animals besides human beings in those places most of the time. And your feet are in stocks where you can't move to defend yourself from those animals deciding that you look better than what they were chewing on. This guy's in charge of that. He's responsible for that. And they see this guy about to take his own life. And it would have been completely understandable to most people if they would have not, not killed him themselves, but allowed him to take his own life. But instead, what happens? The very thing that was inside of them comes out of their mouths. And they look at him and say, listen, don't do that. We're all still here. What does that mean? It means that not only were Paul and Silas there, but they made sure that none of the prisoners left either. Why? Because I think that they wanted to make sure not one person left because they wanted to preach the gospel to the entire prison and to the jailer and to his family. They weren't praising so that they got set free. They were praising because they had been set free. And the earthquake and them getting let out of their shackles was just a byproduct of being in relationship with God and God realizing if I free them right now, they'll steward what I've given them responsibly. They'll actually use what I've given them not to walk out of this prison and better themselves. They'll use it so that other people who aren't set free like they are in here will get set free. It's just like financial blessing. I feel like so many times God blesses people that He sees. They're not going to just use this to make their own life better and more comfortable. They're actually going to care about other people. And the things that I give them, they'll steward well. And so He pours Himself out on those people because they can be trusted with more. And here's Paul and Silas. And what's in their heart is not getting out of prison. What's in their heart is getting the kingdom of heaven into the prison. Because the minute they're set free, they look for the one who's in the worst trouble. It's the jailer. He's about to kill himself. He does not know the Lord. He's not born again. He is going to spend eternity separated from the Father. And Paul can't bear to see that happen. So without any thought for himself, without any thought for the fact that that man has a sword and he's going to kill himself with it, meaning he can't kill me with it. But if I stop him, there's a chance he doesn't. Listen, nobody told Paul, hey, if you tell him to stop and you tell him that you're all here, he's not going to lock the gates back up and, and, and leave you guys in here. It wasn't like an angel of the Lord appeared and said, listen, if you guys will sing praises long enough, I'll set you guys free and you'll stop the jailer and the jailer won't kill himself and he'll actually get born again and you'll get to go free. Nobody said any of that. There was no guarantee that the jailer wasn't going to stop and say, oh, you're all still here? What am I worried about? But he didn't. And Paul didn't care. Why? He's not in it for himself. He's not taking it personally that he was thrown in jail. He's not taking it personally that he was mistreated by that person. All he sees is someone who's about to spend eternity separated from the Father and he cares more about him than his own freedom. That's what Jesus talked about when he said, greater love is not a man than this, that he would lay down his life 
for another. What's he saying? My freedom from this prison is not more important than your freedom from the prison that you're in and you don't even know you're in one. He says, stop. We're all here. Jailer turns on, brings lights, torches down into the dark place that they were at. Says, Paul says, don't harm yourself. We're all here. Calls for lights, rushes in. Trembling with fear, he falls down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, believe in the Lord Jesus. You'll be saved, you and your whole household. And it says they went and they preached the gospel and he and all of his household were saved. And then I want you to, I want you to, to, to notice something. It says the next morning, the person in charge said, let these men go. What does that mean? It means they went back to prison. It means they went and preached to his household. They baptized. They didn't baptize him in prison. They went and preached the gospel to him in his household. They baptized him and all of his household. And then they went back to the place where they started. Why? Because they're following Jesus. And if he didn't tell them to leave, they're not going to leave yet. Why? Maybe there's more people that need to see that there's people who actually are in it for something greater than themselves. And maybe when the magistrate heard the story later and they said, hey, you know those guys that you set free this morning? Yeah, you know last night they were down there praising their God. There was an earthquake. All the shackles got loosened. They actually got set free. And they believed what they preached so much so that they went and saved the life of the man who had put them down in the middle they went to his household, preached the gospel to him and all of his household, baptized all of them, and then they came back here. I promise you that gives a lot of weight to people who are telling them there's something greater than themselves that they live for. It's why Paul could then stand before people and say, listen to me, if it's only for this life that we have hope, then we're to be pitied more than anyone. Why? Because he's already proved it with the way that he lives, so when they hear that come out of his mouth, it carries a weight that it wouldn't if he didn't live that way. just another story of Paul actually living out what he's preaching so that when he opens his mouth and speaks the words that he carried had the most weight but if they're in there for any other reason than the gospel and the love they have for God and the desire they have to see others come to know him I promise you they're having the worst day of their lives and their ministry probably ends Because why we do the things that we do one day will be revealed. If it's anything other than love for Him, it's not going to last. If it's because people speak well of us, if it's because it gives us a platform, if it's because it gives us favor in the sight of people, if it's because it opens doors for us, if it's because it creates network, if it's because it gets me a better life here, or this, that, the next thing, if it's for any of those reasons, they won't last because people will speak badly of you. Because it won't always be easy. Because you may find yourself thrown into prison or something like along those lines. You may find yourself rejected. You may find yourself having to work a job that you don't understand why you're there submitted to a boss that you don't even know that doesn't even know that God exists because God's called you to that place and if you're doing it because of any other reason than love for him you won't make it it'll be exposed well how will it be exposed because when things don't go the way that you think that they should what what it should look like to follow Jesus what comes out of your mouth will be all everything I've done and this is the thanks I get I promise you, it had been easy for a lot of people when they got thrown into prison and beaten to shake their fist at heaven and say, heal the sick, cast out demons and preach the gospel, huh? This is what it gets us? No thanks. I'll go back to making tents. But that's not why they're doing it. So that never comes out of their mouth because it's not in their heart. What's in our hearts will always find its way into our mouths. Always. So what was in Paul and Silas' heart? Don't harm yourself. We're all still here. First, it's love for other people. That's the first thing that comes out of his mouth. Not thank you, Lord, for setting us free. Not this is amazing. Now we have an awesome story to tell people about the power of God that happens when we sing. 
None of that stuff. The first thing that comes out of his mouth is what? Concern for others. Don't harm yourself. Don't you do that. I'm here because you want to do that to yourself. I'm here because you don't see any other way to live than for everything in the world to be right. And if everything in the world isn't right, then you have no reason to live anymore. I'm here because I have a reason greater than everything being okay. I have a reason better than every prisoner being where they're supposed to be and you doing your job perfectly and getting the raise and getting the promotion that you thought you deserved. I have a reason for living that's greater than any of that stuff, so don't harm yourself because I'm here because I carry that reason. Maybe the reason that you're in the place that you're at is because you actually carry the thing that's needed there. And you being there is an answer to somebody else's prayer more than it is an answer to your own prayer. Maybe. It's worth thinking about. Hey, that's okay. That's my little nephew. <laughs> he's awesome. <laughs> he reminds me of Jackson. He's wide open all the time. <laughs> Some of you have calm kids. I, f- I feel like me and my brother Max so far, like we don't really have calm kids when they're babies especially. Like the only way that, that our babies would ever let us like hold them and snuggle them is if they were sick. So like literally, if, if they would let us hold and snuggle them, we would check their temperature and sure enough, they would have a fever every time without fail. And then sometimes Patty didn't want them to get better right away because she enjoyed the ability to be able to snuggle her babies. Because normally they were like, you know, <laughs> look like, <laughs> yeah. Ah. <laughs> <sighs> So maybe their prayers and their praises in prison were, God, thank you that you love us and that even when people do things to us that are meant to harm us, that you have a plan for good, God. Show us the people around us that need to know you. God, if there's anything that we can do while we're in this prison, we're so available and so open. Just give us the word and give us the ability and show us why we're here because we know that nothing with you is wasted and that even that which is meant for evil, you'll turn to good. Isn't that a way better way to live than why me, God? Why did I get up down here? I can't believe I'm in this prison. I can't believe they beat us like that. Oh my gosh, this is so horrible. And if this is what following you gets me, then no thanks. I'll just go back to making tents. It's so much better to actually in the middle of that stuff be able to take your eyes off yourself for a moment and think, maybe there's someone here that can get blessed by this gospel because nothing in life should be wasted. And if I'm going to end up down here in the stink getting beat, I'm going to see somebody set free from it. The enemy is going to pay. I want to live my life to make him regret every single thing that he's done to me and wish that he would have just left me alone. Man, what a better way to live. Because then it turns opposition into opportunity, right? Because now I'm looking for the opportunity in the thing and the enemy's going, oh shoot, I should not have brought him down into that prison. I promise you when they started singing, I'm going to close up with this, I promise you, when they started singing and he heard, now listen, they weren't praising so that they would get set free. You can't head fake God. Okay? You can't go, well, uh, let's see, Paul and Silas ended up in prison. They praised God. The prison gates got open. It's not a formula. They weren't doing it so that he would. They were doing it because he had. They weren't doing it so he would set them free. They were doing it because he had set them free. And earthly circumstances didn't trump the truth of how free they really were. So they're praising him, and this happens. What a better way to live. What a better way to live. To be able to say, even if I was to be thrown in prison... I just see it as a mission trip. And what I would do in prison will look like what I did outside of prison because I wasn't doing it outside of prison for what it got me. And that's proved when I find myself in prison for the thing that I was doing. Then my motive's exposed. Because if I was doing it outside of prison for what it got me, I'm probably not doing it in prison unless I think it'll get me something. And I guarantee you, when they started singing genuine praises from their heart to the Lord after enduring a beating and being placed where they were, the enemy thought, oh my goodness, what have I done? I should have just left them alone. 
because earlier one little girl got set free. Now there's a whole prison full of people and a whole household of a jailer that are about to get set free. And what happens when a jailer gets born again and filled with the knowledge of the God that loves him? Guess who sees every single prisoner that gets brought into that place? And guess who has a story that he can't wait to share with every prisoner that gets brought into that place where he works? See, and now the kingdom multiplies. It's like yeast, a little bit into the, into the dough, gets worked into the whole lump, and the kingdom is now expanding because these two men who were just two when they were walking around setting one girl free and preaching the gospel, now it's multiplied and the kingdom is advancing because now you have a prisoner, a bunch of prisoners who've seen and heard the gospel, and you have a jailer who actually works in there with them, and they have nothing to do. He has a captive, a truly captive audience. When they bring them into prison and that log clicks, they're stuck and they have to listen to whatever he says. And now he's got a story that he can't wait to tell. Hey, you guys, did you hear the story about the two guys, Paul and Silas? Oh, you didn't hear? Pull up a chair. Let me tell you a story. Oh, you can't. You're chained. <laughs> That's my joke. Just hang out. I'm going to tell you. Right? Like now he can't wait to tell people this stuff. But what's happening? The gospel is reproducing itself. And the next day, guess what happens? Paul and Silas get set free anyways. Why? God had other stuff for them to do. They had done exactly what he brought them to the prison to do. And now he's turned that which the enemy went, meant for evil into good. The kingdom has reproduced. The kingdom's multiplied. People are set free. People who really were in prison and didn't even know they were in prison, which is the worst kind of prison that you can be in, are truly set free. And now there's a man there who sees every person that comes in and has a story to tell and a gospel to give. That's amazing. All because two people didn't judge whether or not Jesus was worth it by the circumstances they found themselves in. They had already determined he was worth it and no circumstance could shake it. God, I thank you for who you are. God, I just ask that that would become so real to us. God, that, that even this morning, I just felt like for, for every person that's in here, even for myself as I'm preaching this stuff, like it's, it's, just, it's, it's working. Like the gospel actually works. Like, let it be like a, a recalibration moment, a reset moment. Not one of these like, ha, rah, rah, get charged up, leave church, and then, you know, everything feels... But I'm saying, like, get alone with Him and let Him sort out the things that really make us happy. There's nothing wrong with having things. There is nothing wrong with wanting things. There is something wrong with you not being able to be happy and filled with joy if those things happen to be stripped away from you. Why? Because then all it takes is the enemy taking the things that you have that you hold dear. Send a thief to your house to take that thing that brought you so much joy. And suddenly, if that's what brings you joy, that's what brings you depression when it's gone. But man, if God's what brings you joy, then He can add all these things on top. And I think He's just looking for people who truly want Him so that He can add more to them because He knows they're capable of stewarding it. God, I just ask that we would let our hearts be checked by you this morning and not in a condemning way, but in an actually convicting and in a way, God, where we actually can, can say honestly, God, if there's anything in my life that I value more than you, strip it away. God, if there's anything in this world that I want more than you, show me the lie that I'm believing that makes me think that there's something more valuable than you. God, if I've really set my mind and my affection on anything above you, God, if I'm seeking you for all these things and not for you first, God, show me that. And then I thank you that you're faithful and just to not just show me, but to actually lead me and guide me into all truth by your Spirit and to transform me and change me. God, I thank you that you never come to point out something wrong for the sake of what's wrong but you always come to show us what's wrong so that we can actually go after what is right. God, you show us that that thing that we're holding on to and gripping so tightly is keeping us from being able to reach out and grab the thing that you really want us to have. I thank you that you've never taken something from us without having something better. God, I thank you that we would see you as a loving Father whose eyes are upon us because you love us, not because you're looking for what's wrong but because you see everything right. I just ask that today we, our hearts would be so reset that we would be so solid and so, just, just so 
convinced that you are the answer for everything. And that anywhere we find ourselves, there's people who need answers and the answers are found in you. God, I ask that we would never take it personally again when we live for you and people reject us for your name's sake. That we could even find a place, God, of living in you that we find a little bit of excitement when we look enough like you for people that hate you to hate us too. And I thank you for that. I thank you for your promises. I think you said the Holy Spirit is a comforter, meaning that there's things we're going to need to be comforted from, God. Let it be the right things. Not by taking things personally. Not by living for ourselves. And I ask that you would do these things in Jesus' name. Amen.